Hello and welcome once again to the M4 Project, a movie podcast where we watch the film. Give it a bop. <laughs> I'm going to edit out that stroke and start again. Welcome to the M4 Project, where we watch films the wider public missed and tell you if they're worth watching. This week's film has a little indie project called Living in Oblivion, and I don't know what year it's from. But first, introductions and general douchebaggery. As always, I'm Matthew Jelenic. I'm Michael Sullivan, and, and I'm 1994. Yeah, thank you, Info Man. Thank you. And I'm Morgan Davidson, and I was about to also say, and it was 1995. (laughs) I know I've already raged about the clown before. But this time I actually want to give some credit to McDonald's, sort of anyway. They have a character that promotes a store called Grimace, yeah? Yeah. Well, what is Grimace? He's a taste bud. Taste bud. And that's the correct answer in record time, folks. Thanks for listening. That's the end of the episode. We will catch you next week. Oh, wait, no, we're a movie podcast. Sorry, it's been a while. I forgot what we do. Yeah, is he, though? Or a bean day. No, no, no. I think it's pretty obscure. And when you actually look online, there isn't much information about Mr. Grimace, other than he was once called the evil Grimace, which, let's face it, is much more... Menacing. Yeah. I have a theory that McDonald's has actually been more upfront and straightforward that we're giving them credit for, and we just aren't seeing it, what's clearly in front of us. Grimace represents obesity. He is a large and purple, the shade of fat people's legs. Mm-hmm. You know, Grimace is a reference to the struggle of fat people trying to get out of a chair, the grimace of two fatties trying to have sex, the like, head of an incel's penis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the grimace of a seven year, year seven chubber Never trying to do cross country. Never gonna look at grimace yeah. the same way now. Grimace's McDonald's way of saying to us, if you eat us, you will turn into the grimace. And we don't even care. McDonald's are laughing at us and they're ripping us off at the same time. They're by giving us small spoons when we clearly deserve the large yeah, ones. Yep, yep, Something yep, I've yep. ranted about before. Mm-hmm. Check out the Wizards podcast. But we're so cholesterol drunk that we don't even care that they're showing us our future. What do yeah. you guys think? Well, that that makes the dynamic of like the hamburger, like more poignant as well. Like, there's we've given you a character who's saving you, that you view saving you from becoming the grimace, but you view him as a villain. Yes, because you're you're addicts. Yeah, you are. It's true. You're hooked on sugar. Yeah. And fat. They sugar their bur- They sugar their buns. Their bun is heavy. Sugar. Sugar. Oh, yeah. This really covers them though. When when the lawsuit eventually happens, when they, they when, the, when the next Fed generation you know tries to sue, they look them squarely in the eyes and say, "We warned you. We created the grimace." Yeah, true. We that told you. And grimace, I think you you'll find is an anagram for after <laughs> after after image. <laughs> Blew your mind, folks. Yeah. True story. Living yeah. in oblivion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still reckon he's the head of an incel's penis. Oh man, I'm just gonna see head, going, dong head every time now. That's what's gonna be? Why is that cock smiling? Nobody, t- <laughs> nobody touches me, and it's women's fault. <laughs> Living in Oblivion, a film from 1995. Apparently, it was a me pick. Uh, it's a film about films, starring Steve Buscemi and a relatively all-star cast. Uh, it takes place within a film being filmed. And it's being filmed of a filmed. I'm having another strong call of modulance. <laughs> Somebody else want to spackle this? Yeah, so the film features Peter Dinklage in his debut role. Um, you stole my, you stole my fact. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> mate. Uh, I, stole, I, stole that, I stole that from... Because he stole 9905. I saw her on your sheet before and I was like, I'll steal that. that. <laughs> the, the film is divided into three parts, all of which um, concern, as Matthew said, making a low-budget film featuring the same director, crew, and substantially the same cast. Uh, Nick is played by Steve Buscemi, um, is directing this low-budget film. Uh, certain cast members are sleeping together, others want to be sleeping together. Uh, the scenes being shot are usually ruined in a number of ways, all leading to Nick almost losing his mind and wanting to quit. He's leading Lady Nicole. She had a, a role in a Richard Gere movie, but she wonders that that was her pinnacle. His leading man is a sleazebag, and whilst uh, being a bankable actor, uh, he really is buying his own hype. He wants to give too much information. He, he wants to try and... I don't know. His, his overall goal is to become big and, yeah. and make it in a certain director's movie, but he, he also tries to change the cues and stuff. Yeah. By he's, he's sniffing his own farts enough and drunk at his own sort of power and pomp. He, he's trying to be the big actor that he wants to be. Yeah. And his view of yet. actors is like, no, no, I can say, hey, I reckon the shot needs yeah. to go this, this way. way. Prima donna. Yeah. He, he's also Absolutely. got a cameraman called Wolf. Uh, he has an eye injury and looks like a pirate for most of this movie. He a also missed biker pirate. He also mm. missed the costume member. Oh, and he's dressed from the, yeah, he's dressed from the early '80s. There are a lot of takes. I mean, a lot of yeah. takes. E- wow. Each of the three parts of the movie consists of basically one scene within the fictitious movie. Yeah, and mm. they get ruined. either yeah, they keep getting ruined for various reasons, or they're just not working. And it's it's basically all about the different things that can go wrong in the dynamics of making a film. The movie also has a dwarf in it. Sorry, a little person, Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. Uh, right. So essentially, uh, this film was a film festival release. Yeah. Uh, so it only had a two-theater release opening to Ooh. a weekend of $48,000 thereabouts. Sure. Nice. Yeah. So it, for uh, a budget of $500,000? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for that. Yeah, but um, it did, however, win Tom DeCilio, the director, a Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award at the uh, 1995 Sundance Film Festival. Uh, it actually opened up next to <laughs> Under Siege 2, Dark yeah. Territory. With the man, the myth, the legend, Steven Seagal. Uh, and even though it can't really compare to that sort of movie, uh, it did actually make a total gross of one, just over 1.1 1. 1 million. So it doubled its. Yeah, which is pretty so, good. That is yeah, fucking if, every, if every film mm. could double their budget, they'd be yeah. happy. And especially for uh, such a limited release. Yeah. Like, you're going to imagine that one being so low budget and having such a limited release, they're not going to have much money to put towards advertisement. Yeah. So there's often in uh, those box office figures the hidden costs of advertisement that don't include that. So, oh, the film costs $600,000 to make, but we also spent $400,000 on advertisement. Mm, uh, and that figure doesn't often come in. So that's probably a closer tr- true figure, true, that $5,000. Yeah, and yeah, doubling your money, mm. holy shit. But what's really good to like, like to hear about that is that uh, when Tom, the director, was approaching all producers, they all knocked him back, mm. every single one. So it was actually financed by the actors themselves yeah. and by friends of the director. Yeah. And uh, two of the two of the friends actually did get parts yeah, in uh, the movie. The script, uh, the script lady and Speed, the, the sound, sound man, guy. Sound guy. They're, they're two of the major funders who were friends of his. And he went, yeah, you can be in it. Yeah, and actually, uh, a lot of the other actors threw in money and also just decided not to be paid. They're like, no, no, no. We agree this is going to be a great movie, so we'll just we'll hold off being paid. And they made something I thought was uh, really, really cool. Hmm? Yeah, just pushing off into our usual sections. Or? Um, or just I think uh, a bit of spackle. I want to just spackle a couple, just a couple more areas because uh, to to break it down a little bit because we probably won't have much chance to talk about the story because it's broken into three parts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So basically, you got part one. It's a scene being uh, being shot. It's a bit of a difficult one. There's a young woman, Ellen. She's you know approaching her elderly mother um, about the child abuse she suffered. And for the for the, the shot, it's uh, here. The director wants it all in one long shot which causes a lot of issues because there's constant interruptions so everyone Mm. else is saying can we just 
chop it into smaller bits. Yeah. But he's going, no, no, I want the long shot. I want long shot. It'll be fine. This time, the, one of the actors forgot a line. This time, friggin', uh, the focus puller, it's like, oh, sorry, I fucked up. The, the boom the, was in the The boom the was in the shot multiple times. It's like, you're driving me crazy. Can we just get this one fucking shot for crying out loud? And, and this first part, it, it, it probably has the most takes of the same amount of dialogue. Mm, and it yep. was just the same amount of dialogue. With a few of the other ones, they change uh, sort of the shot slightly, where this mm. was just... Basically, the same shot with the same amount of dialogue. It gets a little bit grating for me personally. I actually, oh, I think that was the point. Out. I skipped fifteen minutes forward to make sure the whole movie wasn't just, <laughs> just this, just one shot. this scene. scene. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, okay, it's not. I'll go back and continue yeah. watching it. Yeah. Watching it. Having yeah. said that, that scene went for like thirty-five minutes. Yeah, it went yes. for ages. Oh, but I, I think it was uh, really well done in that you were showing, be, seeing the multiple variations of how you can get a different performance from people and the different things that can go wrong. Definitely, definitely. So I was like, yeah. that, that was interesting, especially the, the main actress, um, I always forget her bloody name, uh, Catherine Keener uh, playing, no, uh, no, wait, that's not right. Yes, it is Nicole Springer. Uh, the, the way that she had different performances and you can see she's getting frustrated yeah. playing a character who's getting and frustrated. And the mother character and the mother is very, character. very important to yeah. the overall story yeah. arc eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, she's, she's this character who's getting frustrated and then she finds herself again and... But yeah, I, I, the fact that it dragged on was, I think, very deliberate. And yeah. Oh, definitely. Like, oh my God, I feel a frustration. Yeah. Everyone think, in the room is so frustrated. I think oh, that's, I th- even though that is the entire point, similar to uh, uh, Igby Goes Down, I understand that that was the point of it, but it actually withdrew so much from me as a viewer that it made me hate that part of the movie. Yeah. Intensely. Yeah, you know, it just went on though, so many times. Yeah. How many more times are you yeah. going to show this? Yeah. yeah. Uh, part two, that, the amount I hated it was why I liked it. I was like, you made me hate it. Well done. <laughs> Uh, part two, Nicole's character Ellen and Chad's character Damien have been in love for years but have never admitted it until a scene being shot on this day. Uh, shooting the scene is made practically impossible uh, by Chad's irregular acting. He keeps changing his mind about where to stand and, and continually moves and places himself either invisible or badly lit by the scene and Nicole becomes increasingly frustrated at Chad's or, egomania. Yeah, or then he completely changes and goes, you know what, actually I think I should be front and centre of the scene and you should be in the background and let's make the scene about me. me. Yeah. And then you have the uh, part three. Later in the day, the crew is uh, setting up for a dream, dream sequence uh, in which Nicole, as Ellen, uh, stands around while a dwarf walks around her with an apple. Um, Nick uh, manages to keep his positive attitude despite a lot of mishaps. The smoke machine fails to work, then it catches fire, and he's sent on mother, Cora, arrives on set. However, uh, the ill-tempered dwarf uh, complains about the dream sequence and storms off and th- therefore wrecks it in a, in a certain other way. One of the best lines in the yeah. entire movie is delivered in this scene where he says, even I don't have dreams with dwarfs in them. Yeah. That was brilliant. And he walks well, off. Yeah, but basically, uh, uh, yeah, Peter Dinklage is, is posing, placing, playing this character of this dream dwarf, which is meant to be tormenting and strange. And he starts posing the question of why? Why, why, why am I here? Why does this character have to be a dwarf? What is the reason? Because they're I'm odd. Because they're odd. Is that why? Is it because, oh, look, it's a little person. Ooh, strange, eerie. It's like, fuck this, I'm out. I quit. And uh, I thought it was just a great Everyone's action. just there going, oh, and stop, stop in a teacup? Yeah. And, and then the, um, the director, uh, uh, Steve Buscemi, was like, no, oh, he's fucking right. Why, why, why did it have to be a dwarf? <laughs> I'm, I'm so dumb. I'm not cut out for this. Anyway, that's sort of a, a quick rundown of the Definitely. basic story. That's the, that's the basic story. Because there's no one real continuous yeah. sort the, the of thing. Other than the fact they're making a movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, originally, originally, this movie was only part one. Mm. Uh, but then the director realized that... He was onto it, something. It was 
Too, no, it was, was going to be was, a short, wasn't it? It yeah, went too it was, long to it be was a short. Too short to be a full length movie, and it was too long to be a short. short so he's yeah. like, screw it, I'll just do two more things, yeah. two more parts, and make it a full feature length. Yeah, I think uh, reading about it, he, he wrote it with the intention of it being a um, uh, just a little set piece, a little role for uh, Catherine Keener just to show off her abilities. Mm-hmm. And then he went, ugh, fuck. Uh, yeah, we'll just make it longer. Yeah. And uh, away they went. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, act- characters, actors, performance. Definitely. Sure. Steve Buscemi. Leave. Leave. Rev French. Rev French. Rev. For it is dream. A dr- yes. The, yes, the word meaning dream. Which is funny because there's three dreams throughout yes, the well, film. Yeah. So each the, one of these parts is just a dream sequence, essentially. The, yeah. isn't it? The, the first two part. are actual dreams and yeah. the last one is about a dream, dream sequence. sequence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they essentially just, the first part wake, uh, runs through and then Steve wakes up and it goes on to the next set. Yeah, it was which just which is Nicole's and then she wakes up from a dream. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dream within a dream within a dream. Mm. So... Nick, though, played by Steve Buscemi, what did we think? Well, I like Steve Buscemi. I think he's a bloody good actor. Yeah. There was, uh, we were discussing Big googly eyes. Big, beautiful, emotive googly eyes, Mm. like a minion. No, don't bring minions into this. (laughs) No, I refuse refuse to associate him with him. But yeah, I I thought his performance was great. I like the uh, little subtle things of him getting slightly frustrated. But come on, actors, I'm trying to wrangle you together. Can you just communicate? Or I'm going to lie to you. I'm just going to tongue your butthole for five seconds because you need it and you're an actor. And I hope no one's listening through a microphone set. (laughs) Fuck you were. Shitty shit, fuck shit. And then the final explosion of everything's going wrong and I want to kill myself. Uh, But there was that one part of his performance during his dream, the first section, his dream, when he finally snaps and there's the few screams and this is a classic repeat, repeat. Ah, ah, ah. That very was a bit much. It. That it was, was a, very it was a bit, bit much. much. But it was also a dream. Yeah. So, yeah, I can kind of get that. But overall, he did play the director trying to hold the whole thing together mm. very well. He seemed like the only, I don't know, level-headed mm. in it for the game character. Yeah, but also incredibly self-doubting. He's like, come on, we can do this. I've got an idea. We're going to finish it. And then in these quiet moments going, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. I suck. I should probably just find a job teaching Spanish in a normal <laughs> college somewhere. Yeah, I true. fucking suck. I have a plan. We're going <gasps> to... Yeah, so he plays the character yeah. of having it all together very well. Mm. Um, he plays he the gets character most, of playing the character. He gets yeah. most of the dialogue yeah. on the film as well. Yeah, and yeah. he does well, and he delivers dialogue mm. quite, quite well, actually. I, don't, I haven't seen him in t- too many roles where him being the main character gets to deliver a lot of dialogue. Um, when you really think about it, I I can't think of... He's usually just a bit He's part. usually a bit part character or a side character where he character delivers a lot of a lot of dialogue. Oh, with the exception of like the, when he's... Um, what's the show he's on? Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire. Where he's the main character. He delivers a lot there and he delivers that masterfully. Mm-hmm. But this being early on, I hadn't... I couldn't remember any movies I'd seen him where he really delivers a lot of dialogue and he does a great job. Mm. With the exception of that, that one scene where he's overacted it, where he's getting angry, you know, his character journey is... Probably the most interesting throughout mm. throughout the movie, um, and he's probably the, the one character you really do like because oh, the rest of the character characters are really deep down dicks. Mm. Most of them are dicks. Even mm. um, Nicole's a bit of a dick, yeah. like just by self doubt so much. Like fuck off, just yeah. like just embrace being yeah. a famous actor. Stop fucking second guessing yourself. Where this guy, you actually feel for him because it's it's his baby and yeah. it's his nuts on the line to, to make it go yeah. right. He's mm-hmm. at least trying to he make is, his dream And he is through. trying. Either whether he's, whether he's blowing smoke up yeah. their ass or he's trying different things, yeah. he is trying. Well, well, we got Steve Buscemi or moving on to... No, you've got more on Steve Buscemi. Any more you want to mention about uh, Steve Buscemi. Not Other than the fact that he great. used to be a fireman. 
Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. And then he went that. back. Yeah. Uh, during 9-11. He, was, he oh, came back. Actually, I vaguely remember hearing that. Yeah. Somewhere. He was, a, he was a New York fireman and then they obviously left to be an actor. And when, when, it, when everything went down, he literally, he, um, he like rocked up to volunteer again. Yeah, right. Yeah, good on him. God damn. Catherine Keener is Nicole. Catherine Keener. I was trying to think of what else I've seen her in. And it's quite a lot. There's a few roles in particular. Deporte. I do. I do Deporte. have. I do have a bit that goes on for a little bit. Go for it. Uh, attached to that. So uh, she's also in another movie called Johnny Swade, who was also directed by Tom DeSillo in 1991. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before this film, uh, but it also stars a new and fresh Brad Pitt before he made it big. Yeah. Uh, so this was another one of these art house yeah. film festival type films. Um, and it made its debut at the Locarno International Film Festival, where it was seen by Mark Tusk of Miramax, who actually executive produced um, Hedvig at the Angry Inch. Um, and he uh, urged Harvey Weinstein, knowing that Brad Pitt was going to be big, to pick up the rights to the movie Johnny Suede. And then after a few years more later, he Brad Pitt made his big uh, his oh, big debut in um, yeah in Interview with a Vampire. There you, there you go. go. That Predictive might have, might have helped. Make Brad Pitt who he is, but then it's all cursed by the fact Harvey Weinstein exactly. had something to do with it. Yeah. Bad Harvey. Yeah, so don't touch I mean, the girls, can, Harvey. Yeah, if you take away anything, he's he's just one point of separation from a horrible sex offender. Yeah, grimace. Yeah, grimace. Grimace. <laughs> uh, back onto Catherine Keener. Uh, she plays uh, Nicole, an upcoming actress who, at the moment, her most famous thing she's done is she was in the shower scene in a Richard Gere yeah, movie yep. uh, which everyone keeps referencing and they're all like oh yeah she's pretty good she was in that movie with Richard Gere <clears throat> and other than that you hear nothing but <laughs> the voice is like yeah it was a shower scene nice <laughs> how did she do it in the shower scene really yeah, good yeah she was really good she really was good. nice hand gestures <laughs> uh, yeah. and so she's this up and coming actress she's, she's in love with Nick secretly secretly and it's not really uh, sort of established stirring up but yeah, it yeah. becomes quite obvious yeah at the end of sort of the second dream Nick actually thinks she's a decent actress where she's more fatalistic about yeah. her so, acting abilities yeah. any any second now I'm just going to be a waitress again I'm just going to yeah. go, go be a waitress uh, at the end of the film they were going through what they were thinking at the time at the end of the film and hers was just giving a resume to yeah. <laughs> a waitress just like can you cook burgers I guess so. I guess shrug like to start off with you're like okay this that tones her character but then it continues like this self-loathing mm-hmm. continues for the rest of the film and yeah. it gets tiresome at, at not long into it for me I was like your acting is fine you know yeah. like you, you, yeah. you're not Have that bad of an actor just fucking just go with it just yeah. be I didn't really see the self-loathing more so it was just a lot of self-doubt yeah she just didn't she had no self-confidence in her performance ability rather than hating herself yeah okay sure she didn't hate herself self-loathing is probably the wrong word for it but yeah. that self-continual self-doubt yeah it I, just got grating up time did like and you know yeah. you're obviously talented because people want you to be in the movie and like yeah. how many times does someone have to tell you no no, yeah. no you're fine and sure okay he is blowing smoke up people's asses mm-hmm. so maybe he is just lying to but you he's also her friend from way back apparently yeah and so he's like he, he wouldn't lie to you and like, she's still work- sexy with underarm hair go her yeah worked for her uh, there was That's the quality. thing with yeah. um, with Steve Buscemi's character at least in he'd, he'd have a moment of going I suck and he'd be like nope I'm gonna fucking chase my dream this is my dream I'm gonna do it. She never really had that. No. But she did have a few moments where, especially in that first scene where she was like, fuck it, I'm going to just, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to emote. I'm going to do the job. And she did it really, really well. But the I got pop- something ruined. Yeah, it, it constantly got ruined. But it's also a part of Steve Buscemi's dream. So it's a reflection of his view of her. Yes. So it's not actually part of her story repertoire, arc. Repertoire. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's not, it could be a part of her repertoire, but it's just not part of her story arc. So when we get to the second scene and she's like, I hate myself. 
Uh, she hasn't had that scene. Yes. She hasn't yeah. had that moment of, I've found it. I found the thing to do the best version of this scene and give this performance. She's still sitting there going, I wonder when that'll happen. <laughs> so I, I think that's part of the reason why it sort of continues is that they she didn't have that character growth because that wasn't her actual reality. It was our reality and our view of the character, but it wasn't part of her actual life. She reminded me of something. <laughs> did, did I articulate that? I think yeah. you did pretty well. Okay. Yeah. She reminded me of someone else, but I, I couldn't quite put my finger on Grimace? Not Grimace. No, she was definitely more attractive than Grimace. He has um, other arm hair. The closest thing I could oh. think of that she sort of reminded me of was the chick who plays the, the, the female like Velcro lead. and cheese. <laughs> oh, the female lead in Dogma. You know the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, she reminds me of her, just her, the, her, her, I don't know, the way she emotes and the way she mm. sort of ugh, acts just reminded me of her which isn't a bad thing but there was someone else I looked to look at I'm like you don't look like you look like this other person the mum from the- Get Out no not really no well that's because she did play that character actually. Yeah. Oh, well, just yeah, aged, she's aged a lot there you go well, that, I, that I didn't remind me of 20 years. her I didn't remind <laughs> me of her put it that way 23 years there you go I didn't know that she played that <laughs> uh, any more to say on Catherine Keene as Nicole it was a little bit annoying the fact that she was constantly self-doubting but being able to act and go okay, I'm acting and trying this thing or I'm acting and trying another thing or I'm getting really frustrated. My co-star is a huge douche and I'm putting that into the seat. Sorry, I'm going to actually do a good job now. No, he's still a douche, fuck him. Yeah. She's, the, the performing as a performer is like a it's difficult... It's a mask on top of a mask and she nailed it, I think. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Layers upon layers and she did well. Mm. <laughs> like an onion. Mm. Like Grimace's penis. Oh, fuck. <laughs> We don't need to. Keep where bringing. onion rings come from? It was his circumcision. Oh, dude, cue guillotine no. noise. What is wrong Chunk. with you? Are you okay? I'm in danger here. No, um, it's only when I edit. Dermot Mulroney as Wolf. I loved his look. Like, yeah. Man, he looked, was so... he looked like he was straight out of the set, uh, the, the wardrobe for the Michael Jackson's Beat It video. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. or he just stepped out of the jungle of like a Predator sequel. He just jumped out of the jungle of fucking leather. Yeah. That's <laughs> what he jumped out of. Yeah, it's like, ha ah. He's got this like semi military look, but semi. semi but camped up. Yeah, semi leather Military, daddy, but about to go on parade. As well. it, it looked very much like what I would expect a uh, pretentious. Uh, cinematographer in a yeah. small film would look like. Absolutely. It was yeah. very well. He's, he's the sort of guy who wears. He a- had the, one of the worst outfits along with the sound boob dude. Yeah. He had the <laughs> worst outfit. Well, a literal alarm clock around his neck and a, a tied up, uh, not like cut off midriff cut off, shirt. Yeah. He, he looked like a poor version of Marky Mark. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, that's the sound boob guy. But back on the wolf, yeah, he. Looks exactly like what, like Mike said, you would expect a pretentious cinematographer to look like. Just imagine the sort of person that would wear a leather vest and that's what they're wearing on their top half. The sort of person who would wear that and think, yes, this is me. That's them. You've got them in the head. That's Wolf. He's in a relationship with the film's first assistant director, Wanda, uh, and they have a bit of a, a, a breakup mid, mid-movie, mm-hmm. uh, which affects... Does that actually happen in one of the dream sequences or is that part of the third point where it's reality? That's now? third point. That is third point? Okay. Yeah, it's during it's during uh, when they're shooting the dream sequence. Okay. Because cool. it's in between one of the, the times true. that the fog machine breaks. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Mm. okay. Sorry, I just I kind of lose Lost track, track of like yeah. kind of lose track of what's dream real. and what's real. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit like that. Mm. Any more to say on him? He was only a bit burly, a bit part character. Uh, I think no, he played it well. I, I think he, he played it well. Like... Uh, I will say the interactions I have of running running a film. So it's like 
the assistant director uh, wanders screaming into her mic, lock down the set, do this, do that, roll. It's like, speed, shutters on, blah, blah, blah. And all they, the way they talk with each other is like very set and very, it's like, that's so cool that they're, they're actually keeping it yeah, real. Portrayed the actual yeah. filmmaking yeah. side process of things. Process yeah. And, and, yeah. Intact. And, and the way that he was constantly like, I think it should be handheld. I want, I, want, I want to experience the, the battle between yeah. the director and the cinematographer, well, especially when um, his his interactions with Chad, because uh, Chad is a lead actor opposite Nicole, who's a douchebag. We'll get to him in a second. Yeah, we'll get to him in a second. Uh, he's trying to steal uh, Wanda. Well, he's just trying to sleep with Wanda, and he's also constantly trying to change up the scene that Wolf has designed. It's like, no, you you just go stand in your spot. You fucking tool. I have a plan. I thought that was great. Like, you're right, though. The fact that they actually were honest to what actually happens in the making and shooting of a scene, mm-hmm. uh, where most people just go, take three, uh, action, action. Lights, camera, just get the roll, clap action. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, where these guys actually went through a bit yeah. more of that process. Yeah, yeah. That the assistant director screaming down a microphone, I thought you said you had it locked down. Yeah. You fucking idiots, get the car out of here. <sighs> okay, everyone, that's professional. Bang, 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 bang. Moving on to James LaGrosse's Chad Polomino, the male lead in Nick's now, film. We keep saying that he's a douche, but the scene where he is an insufferable douche is a dream sequence at that time, isn't it? Yeah, it, like it is. But he ends up being a douche in 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 in, in the yeah. reality. He's not even shown because the True. third part is the dream sequence where I'm assuming his character is meant to be who Nicole yeah. is getting married to because yeah. she's in a wedding dress. So I'm assuming True. he's meant to be the groom. So we don't actually see him in the reality, but I'm yeah. guessing... Uh, no, because uh, what, what happened in the third part, uh, where it's not the dream, he doesn't turn up to set, so they have to shoot a different scene, so they move on to her uh, dream sequence. Right. That's why they were like, fuck, he's not here, we can't do the scene where you guys are in the bedroom having that chat and confessing your love. Right. It's like, fuck, all right, we'll move to the dream sequence when you're alone. Cool, and she's having all the anxieties about her love and all that sort of thing, which is why she's in a dress, and apparently there's a... <laughs> small man with an apple yeah is he really a dick because the two scenes where we see him are both dream sequences and then the third one so what happened what happens is yeah he's not there so what you would take away from that version is they he did sleep with nicole that part's true and then when she said yeah look it's just a one-time thing he took that badly and was a little bit embarrassed and didn't didn't come to set because he was air quote sick. Yeah, uh, he's a he's a major Hollywood star at this point, uh, appearing in a low budget movie to gain critical kudos. Uh, he is selfish and a bit of an egomaniac, mm. uh, and the character was assumed to be Brad Pitt. But, right. Yes. Uh, but the the director came out eventually in a commentary track later on and said, no, no, it, that is not the case. Yeah. But it was yeah. long assumed that it was having a shot at Brad Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. Because right. I, I just always assumed that yeah. Brad Pitt was very good on set. I yeah. A lot of Which is why a lot of people have were like, yeah, yeah, because um, it came out that it was kind of based on someone. They went, well, who's big that he that director has worked with previously, yeah, Brad right. Pitt. But it actually, uh, and also, uh, what is it, Dave Lagrosse, the actual actor's name? Yeah, James Lagrosse. James Lagrosse. Uh, he came out and was like. I won't say who it is, but I will say that it isn't Brad Pitt, and it was my decision to base it off someone that I worked with previously on another film. Ah. He goes, that I, I basically got my inspiration from being uh, overperforming, just hugely egotistical butt face. Uh, I, <laughs> I encountered that person on set. Yeah, okay. He goes, and that's who I was playing, and I think I nailed it. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, he gave you some of the best laughs, though, which with these dim-witted ideas. Yeah. Like... Uh, they were so in your face of, uh, I want to try this, but it was like so obvious that he wanted to try this to make himself 
yeah. more in the foreground than in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's reasoning for why he thought it was a good idea. If I just walk around, you know, this way, and then I, yeah. I, I, if I take I, the seat laying down, down on the bed, the bed. instead. <laughs> yeah, I thought I, I enjoyed his character, yeah. and like again, one of the other best lines of it is when um, uh, Steve Buscemi's character uh, Nick cracks it and calls him a hostess twinkie motherfucker. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, says, yeah. "What'd you say? Yeah. <laughs> say it again, hostess twinkie." Motherfucker! Yeah, because earlier on they're sitting in a car and they're waiting for Nicole, but uh, Steve Buscemi's character is unaware of the fact that Nicole had slept with Chad and was actually in his hotel room and she's nicked off in a cab. But it's dream sequence, so did, did she at all? Yeah, well, they did. But, but it, did they, Matthew? Yeah. Whoo, wow, but, wow. but anyway, so they're, they're, they're in the car waiting for her. It's like, oh. And uh, Chad himself goes, you know, he goes, I'm not one of those hosty, twinkie, hostess, twinkie motherfuckers. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, you know, the big Hollywood preppy roles. Yes, I don't care. I'm about the indie stuff, man. That's what I want to do. Basically, just blah, 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 blowing uh, the director's like, oh, yeah, cool, 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 cool. Which is why he comes back later and he calls goes, him. No, you are a hostess, twinkie motherfucker. It's like, mm. you're just. He, wa- he basically bullshit. wants to uh, do this because he be- believed the director had connections with Tarantino. Yeah. Which, if you're an actor and you believe that uh, doing a movie was going to get you in with Tarantino, you do it. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Wouldn't and you? also make sure you have nice feet. Yes, that's true. <laughs> well manicured. Any more to say on James LaGrosa's Chad Palomino? He did well as playing a pretentious douchebag. He yeah, did. he did. He, he was did. insufferable. Mm. He was, he was. But a fun insufferable. But mm. I liked watching him like, oh, you're such a dick, I want to slap you, but keep going. <laughs> Which is what Grimace says to his dick. Peter Dinklage as Tito, a frustrated dwarf actor who complains about his cliche roles. Probably my it's favorite a- character for the amount of screen yeah. time he had. Yeah, it's not a huge role. Yeah. But in this short movie, he steals the show for me. You know, he was funny, he was witty and with his mannerisms. You know, he, he was really good. It was a tiny amount of scene time, but, but he used it well. You could see his talent in this role. And, you, know, you know, it's no wonder we now see him on the small screen. Yeah. I uh, did not... Note, note uh, to myself editing this, this when that started. Put in, like, that trombone music that we have for bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Yeah, uh, he had easily the best lines in the entire movie, in my particular opinion. Why? Yeah, <laughs> when he was going on this rant about having the dwarf in the train, was easily yeah. the best scene. Because he has to do this scene multiple times before yeah. he eventually cracks the shit, and you can just see him thinking about it yeah. and stewing on it yeah. as he's performing every take of. Yeah. Why? And then he says, "Laugh for me. What kind of laugh? I don't know. Like a mwah laugh. Just, just a little laugh. Yeah. What? Or a big laugh? Doesn't matter." <laughs> It's like, it's like, okay, yeah, so literally I'm just here to be this mocking of myself, just um, this giggling oh, tiny person, they you even, son of a... They even say, uh, oh, we don't have the smoke machine after it blows out. He goes, how are we supposed to do a dream sequence without a smoke machine? He goes, well, we've got, still got the dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that, that's what defined it. Yeah. I think that yeah, you see him in the background and that's one of the things that yeah, yeah. makes him snap. He's like... But I did like the fact that um, uh, he his character... Had those few, few when they were shooting that sort of thing, he was there, or the moment when he finally broke. But he was also just in the background constantly. Like the guys, all the set guys were like, "Yeah, yeah, we've we've got the smoke machine. We know how to work it." We think, and they're all fucking was like, "Yeah," and he's always in the background when they're talking. He's like, "What if we put the gasoline and the oil in the same hole? Would that work?" It's like, I think you're right. I think you're right. And there's Peter Dinklage in the background, just sort of shaking his head and like, "Person gonna burn the fuck down? We're <laughs> <laughs> all gonna die." <laughs> um, he, he, yeah, his tantrum though it leads to uh, him him fucking off eventually. Uh, any more to say on him first before I go off on a tangent? No, no I, I think it, it was 
if this was the, the, Mike, did you say this was his debut role? It was his debut it was role. It was evident that he had something. Yeah, like he's one of those actors right. who just you went, you clutched the pearls, and went, my word. <laughs> I was not expecting that. The vapors. There is like a little, a little, a little, a little side tangent. There. I like your your elderly black lady. <laughs> my word, the vapors. Continue. My. No, um, they say that this is his debut, but they, he's also got an unconfirmed credit for a movie called Shadows and Fog, where he plays as a circus performer. I thought you were going to say he, he plays as the fog. <laughs> No, um, but I believe they actually reference circus performer in here, like yeah. the, the mother that later on comes. Oh, he's got to do gymnastics. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like sex performer. So I wasn't sure if that was like a like nod to that, or whether that was just like a dwarf trope. Yeah, it's a dwarf, it's dwarf. I think it was more of a twope, trope than anything. A twope, twope. It was definitely twope. a twope. Um, but his stomping off leads to the mother coming in, and the mother end up doing the dream yeah. sequence and absolutely nailing it. And that was such a beautiful. He, he his storming off and leaving uh, fills in some blanks because it then reveals that the the elder lady in the first scene was the director's mum. Was the director's mum, and she mm. couldn't forget her lines because she's starting to suffer from dementia or yeah. Alzheimer's. And she turned up. She was one of the distractions for the shot of this scene. Like she just turned up, and they were like, "What the fuck?" She's like, "Yeah, we found her when we were looking for your journal at your place." He's like, "Mum, you're supposed to be at the hospital." And then she kept sort of interrupting, and he's like, "Just for the love of God, sit here." He's like, "I've missed and you." And she's like, and like oh, "Give me the apple." Yeah, and then she comes yeah. up and nails. Yeah, she goes. I'm, and she goes through the uh, Peter Dinklage's time door, closes, goes, "I'm ready." It's like roll, roll camera, I guess. And yeah, nails, <laughs> nails it. it. All right, I think it's enough for characters, actors. We've, oh yeah, we've, yeah. we've bashed that on the head. Sure. Looks and tone, looks and tone. Uh, I, I really like the way this film was shot. I like the fact that they uh, how they used uh, in the first two dream sequences, alternating between black and white and color to represent yeah, yes. where they are, whether they it's in the it. movie of the movie or within the movie that we're watching. And they swap it, and in then the they swap one. it in the second yeah, one. It was actually. I'm really, I really enjoyed it. They did that, and yeah. then I was kind of <clears throat> expecting that to continue through the entire movie. Mm. I was a little bit, I don't know, not disappointed, but I don't know. Thought, well, they sort well, of did. They sort well, of did, I guess. But no, in, the, in the final one, they don't do any of the color switches, but I think it's more because uh, that scene wasn't about the, the and it color. wasn't a dream. Either well, as well it, so. it wasn't because it wasn't a dream. But for me, it was more because the scene was about the scene yeah. and not about the movie within the movie. So okay. like when they're going, it's like, all right, this is the movie world. You're not the actress. Nicole. It was a, it was a very clever yeah, yeah. way to. You're not the actress Nicole. This is now Ellen in the movie that we're trying to make. Whereas in that third part of the film, it's still just Nicole and Tito trying to make this scene work, but it's just not working. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked it if in that final moment with the mum had it done the color switch, like because that was the movie and they nailed it. Yeah, right. But, yeah, I, I think that's why they didn't do those color switches yeah. because it was like, it's not about the movie. I, I did. It's about the movie that we're watching, not the movie within the movie. I did love the fact that they they did literally switch it. That yeah. where I think it's uh, what is it? It's a uh, real life is black and white in the first scene, color is the movie, yeah. and then they switched it around to real life being color and movie being black and white. It yeah. was just a very because it was off putting in, in yeah. the sense of hang on a second, are we now watching the movie because it's in black? And, what are we yeah. watching at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also like the fact that it in in a way it's referential of the person who's having the dream. Yes, for the director, the film is a represent, uh, deeper representation of life. So film is life. Film is this bright, colourful thing. It has all the reality into it, and real life is all dark, black and white, and mm. dreary. And then from the actress's perspective, film is this hard dark black and white thing where I've just got to do the right thing and 
real life is all colourful and has all this misery and interactions and it's like it's not as clean and neat as cinema. So I, I thought that was a, f- a fun little uh, potential reference. But it, it, fitted in wa- it fitted in well to give the representation of dream sequences the whole way through. Yeah. Like it, it made it quirky enough yeah. to for you to believe that it was a dream at the end yeah. when they woke up, you know, because yeah. it had something weird and different going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? What, what, what more on looks and tone? they did a really good job of filming a film set. Yeah, quite definitely. Frankly. Like they, uh, and the way they spliced between what the camera in the movie was recording. Yeah. For like, I'm trying to think how to word it even. Yeah. Uh, so for example, like they're taking a shot of a, of a scene and one of the scenes gets messed up by the camera being bumped. So I think it's the guy that does the focus yeah. on the camera accidentally bumps the camera, and the part that you see with, with from you actually see the bumping from the perspective of the shot being of the taken. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see that, but that would have been the, the camera that would have been filmed for yeah. the movie. So it's, yeah. they've just done a very good job of intertwining. Mm. I definitely agree with you. You're witnessing someone try and make a film, mm. um, and they get to use a lot of different angles, and mm. and and you see someone try stuff that you would try making a film uh, but it might not get used because it wasn't good enough or whatever yeah, yeah. so it let you let you try these whole different angles and it didn't matter if they weren't great yeah. because that fits into the whole story of yeah. of, of this film so you, you get to show or try angles that mm. that you would never use and yeah. you get to use them because it doesn't fucking matter yeah, sometimes, because sometimes oh, oh, that it, film yeah. was just that, that scene was just ruined by this yeah, yeah. or sometimes it's just appeasing an actor or an actress or that kind of thing I also did like the fact that they showed when they were shooting the actors interact, it was like, oh, we're trying to do this thing and everyone's sort of on set. The sets looked especially, the sets that the actors are on for the film that they're shooting look really shitty. Yes. But the moment it cuts to, all right, camera's capturing you, it's black and white or whatever it is, or this is how it's framed off the shot, it looks a lot better. Yeah. Like it, it's that sort of revel- revealing the nature of movie magic. Like you can sit there and go, oh, that tiny apartment and couch that you and your estranged mother in looks terrible into black and white mode. It's like, oh, wait, it looks, looks, looks fine. fine. It looks fantastic. Oh, are mm. we watching The Bold and the Beautiful currently? Yeah. The uh, pinnacle of uh, TV romance? Yeah, potentially. Cinematics galore. <laughs> tone. What do we think about the tone? Uh, the rating, i got to say, is one of the main things that I really felt. Yeah, the like frustration the, of making yeah, a movie. Which I think is comes a, out of a screen. main point. Um, it was very difficult for me to watch, as we may know from my previous viewing experiences of things like uh, Symbol. Symbol was the one I was thinking of, but Igby also slow, um, repetitious. It was very slow and repetitious, and it was, especially that first scene. That first scene, oh man, I feel like that first scene tainted the movie. For if me I had, if I had have skipped forward that fifteen minutes and they had still been in that scene, I'd have turned it off. Just saying, <laughs> you can't do that. I have turned Completely it off. Fair. I would have went back to it later, but I would have had a tantrum. <laughs> I would hit something, my house, hit me, yeah, and then went back and, and continued watching it in times three, mm. and then read the plot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but tone wise, since most of the movie was in dream sequences, it, it did something did feel off that you couldn't yeah. quite put your finger on, and which that's I think dream. was very well done. And, but yeah. that's because there were all dream sequences, so mm. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I like the even though it's this frustration it's every, uh, that you're feeling of the crew and of the actors and everything. Uh, I also like the the comedic effects and comedic timing of everyone sort of the having these characterized uh, inter- human interactions. So it's like, yeah, you've got your pretentious DP, director of photography. You've got your, your focus puller guy who sometimes just needs to go take a shit. Uh, you've got your freaking <laughs> careless caterers who have got the same carton of milk they've had for over a week, but they're so low budget, they don't give a fuck. 
which ends up poisoning the cameraman. And, and the way they all sort of interact, I liked that and, and the comedic timing and, and just the general sort of comedic tone of it, I, I really enjoyed. I really liked in that first uh, scene that they, they, without you knowing until later, they touch on Nick's mother's issues. And then mm. that's revealed later on uh, in the film when, when we get to finally meet her yeah. um, as who she actually is. Yeah. Uh, and it gives you, once you realise that, it makes that whole first scene Mm. Uh, much more whilst it's an, it's an annoying scene yeah. it gives it a whole new depth that you don't realise yeah. until you get to that third scene yeah. um, the actual dream sequence itself though it is the pick of the scenes for me you know it, yeah. it turned that the film as the film as whole and the film in the film um, into worth watching it for me it, yeah. it was it was a, a great mm. ending to a, to a movie yeah. Great ending to a movie about movies, especially as well. Uh, but I, I think similar to the point where the revelation that comes with uh, comes from the first uh, first act or the first part, not the first act, the first part of the film reveals that it's his mother. I also like the fact that the second dream sequence reveals that Nicole has feelings for uh, for the director and has sort of decoded the fact that the movie is really about them and their relationship. Yeah. I was like, ah, she's figured it out. She's ah, it's all very nice and overall, overall, yeah, it was okay. Bashemi was good. Dinklage was better. Yes. Um, the worst part was the repetition. 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 Not my favorite movie, but I would watch it again. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed. I don't know. I guess I'm one of those pretentious dickheads who likes movies about movies. <laughs> I feel like because uh, a, a lot of what I saw online was this movie is great at showing what it's like to be on the set of a small indie film. And they said it, that was portrayed really well. I feel like I would have enjoyed it more if I had more of a connection to that. When it comes to the actual filmmaking process, no goddamn clue what the hell happens. You'll learn. Yeah, I can make Frog Town Under. Frog Town Under. Frog Out. So. Uh, I can't really appreciate a lot of the nuances that people would have been like, yes, because had critical claims. Such what a DP would do. Exactly. Like I think the people, like the critics will probably have a lot more knowledge. Yeah. On That's such a Dave. Yeah. What these things are. Whereas I didn't have that connection. So all yeah. I got was looking at it purely from the film yeah. and it felt very claw my eyes out repetitious. Even if that was the intent, it yeah. ruined a lot of it for me. Mm-hmm. I did overall would, I still enjoyed it overall, but it was, it was difficult at times. It was very difficult. Could C have been, minus. Like, I, 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 I agree, agree with you on that. Like, I liked it. But again, it was grating on me. It was great on me. Yeah. I think it could have been, uh, whilst, I, again, I don't think it was a bad movie or anything, and I would watch it again. They don't have to. They can make them whatever movie they want to make. But I think it could have been saved in the sense of making it a, a little bit better with just a, a little bit of a sprinkling of a few more funny through yeah. it. Because mm-hmm. overall, it is, it is pretty much a comedy. Yeah. But I felt it could have done with maybe two or three more, more punchline sort yeah. of things yeah, yeah. would have just given you that bit more of an upper. Yeah. 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 As opposed to just sort of the funny uh-huh. nature of it all. Yeah. Just have like one or two lines of that actually directly hits you with something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can see that, but also I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it was. Uh, would we recommend it? I'd recommend it as, as something to watch, but it's not special. Mm. Probably not. Cause I feel like the people would be, it'd be too niche. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just, mm. To meta, yeah. For someone that is, I don't know. Whenever you say recommend, I think to just your general Joe Blob. Yeah, I just wouldn't. Fair enough. I'll give it to a general public person. It's a valid opinion. Mm. Uh, I'm of the opposite end. I'd say watch it because I enjoyed it. But uh, similar thinking though for the regular folk, I can understand why. Yeah, you probably wouldn't. But like indie films, which is a pretty vast genre. Yeah. Yeah. 
You'd be like indie films give it a watch. Yeah, yeah. But it's nothing overly special, I don't think. Cool. Uh, on that mystical magical note, we're going to take a quick break for spoilers and chocolate. Uh, chocolate. Ooh. Something new before the spoilers this time. Uh, in addition to some of the just background stupidity that goes on with how we talk to one another when the microphone's off, uh, we also spent some time introducing Morgan to Rule 34 of Grimace. If you don't know what Rule 34 is, it is basically an internet rule that says if it exists, there is porn of it. Yep. Oh, chocolate man. Yes. Bring me some chocolates, please. Either Grimace is fisting your ass, or... <laughs> He's not. Once he's past the knuckles, it counts. <laughs> I think give no, up fast food. No, yeah, no amount of Happy Meals will ever undo that damage. <laughs> He'd have a square cock because he's round. Mm, octagon. Four <laughs> edges. I can top the round. Pyramid penis. Just <laughs> <laughs> taking teeth out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Mm, that does not need to happen. What? Rule you thirty-four. Porn of it. There is porn. Uh. <laughs> go on. Oh, okay. no! oh my god! There is. No. Okay, is it? No, 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 that's not. Is it? That's Kermit the Frog here in your butt. <laughs> look, at, look at fucking uh, Ronald over there, fucking the bird thing. I thought he was just fucking lasagna there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he's he's murdering. That is Jesus Christ. That is. And she's laid an egg. That is oh, she squirted an egg. That is messed up. Who gets off on that? I mean, I will later. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck has that got to do with? It's Mickey Mouse. Oh yeah, there's Grimace there in the background. I'm just going to that one with Barney the dinosaur, fucking something. I think uh, I think he's getting high from town. Oh, it's the purple um, Teletubby. That is too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. All the purple fun. Go to click on the. <laughs> 205 images. Yeah, right. Yep. Yep. Seen that now. Can't no, see it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, right. Oh. Extra mayonnaise. What a line. <laughs> Served. <laughs> Jesus. What Christ. in the shit? Welcome to the new spoiler thing we do. Where we look up rule 44, apparently. Is that a chicken nugget? Getting a blowjob by another nugget. Anyway, back to Is the it a nugget or a potato. Back to the film. Spoilers. Irving so, and obviously, there's the spoilers that the first two uh, parts of the film are dream sequences, and the third part is a film of the dream sequence. It's not really any spoilers. No, it's not really. They, any they, su- they succeed, and uh, in completing that scene, and they roll, and they go, "Cool, break down the set. We're going to continue on." The film sort of fades to black through a closing door. It's like film continues on, but everyone's slightly happier with what they're doing. Uh, there's a brief moment where they finally complete the scene. Hooray! And then the sound guy goes, shut the fuck up. We've got to get room tone for 30 seconds. And it cuts to these sequences oh. of what everyone's thinking. Oh, went on for far too... Yeah, yeah. Kill me. Yeah. That went on for so yeah. long. That 30 seconds lasted at least 15 minutes. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, uh, Nicole, oh. her daydream in the silence is she's applying to be a waitress. Because she's so fucking... Oh, yeah. So much self-doubt. Uh, the director is having a huge ego boosting thing where he's winning an award for being uh, a new award we just created for best actor, uh, best, best film best ever, film ever, ever made by a living human being. Uh, what else is there? This, uh, the, the guy who's basically been running around, uh, the props guy, he's just imagining Get, getting a burger, burger from the waitress and eating and really enjoying it. <laughs> that I really I thought I, was great. I enjoyed that. 
the DP, he's daydreaming that he wins Wanda back because she broke up with him. And Wanda's, Wanda's daydreaming that she's, she's sleeping the with, crap Chad. Out with Chad. And Chad's like, oh my God, you're the best thing ever. And you are the best person I've ever slept with. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, and I think that's all of them. Yeah. I, I, probably rescinded my early, I rescinded my earlier thing. I did not enjoy this film. <laughs> it had parts in it that I enjoyed, but overall, I did not like it. Right, yeah. Done. You reminded me of the 30 second sequence. Like, you can just do that out. So, yeah. <laughs> Does anybody else think it's adorable that Mike voices his frustration by making sound like an angry baby elephant? Because I do. So, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like someone stole an iPad from a preteen pachyderm. Happened, Mike, was I reminded you that there was a chicken nugget, but it had a piece of poo on either side of it. <laughs> Basically. It's like, I, I can salvage any nugget, but that one. What, what about, about a nugget you're going to blow up to another nugget? Free mayonnaise. I do, you, that, yeah, adds to the flavor. <laughs> You get the taste of passion. Ooh. Fresh breath with the Wrigley's. <laughs> oh, Mike, that might be my favorite pun. <laughs> oh, that tickled me. Like Grimace is going to tickle my butthole with his British penis. Yeah, that, that sort of explains it. <laughs> Grimace fleshlight. Wow. I don't think McDonald's would sign on to that. No, they would not. Uh, yeah, other than that, I think we've pretty much covered it. Next week's pick. We next, have week's next week's pick. pick. Meet the Feebles. Oh! Meet the Feebles. Thus yep. ends the podcast. Thus. That was episode 46 of the M4 Project. We discussed the film Living in Oblivion from 1995, starring Steve Buscemi, and talked about Grimace and the despicable things he could do to your butthole. Available as always on iTunes and SoundCloud. Like us on Facebook and tell us what other movies we should watch. All right, ta-ta.